I'm Dr. Ben Rall. Do you know where the most amazing doctor lives? You may be surprised to learn that it's actually right inside of you. Yet, today's healthcare model is built on a foundation that the greatest doctor instead comes in the form of pills, potions, lotions, even surgery. So listen in, because what if the majority of what you have been told about health and healing is not only wrong, but actually harmful to you? One thing is for sure, when you work with your body and not against it, you'll begin to discover that you are in fact designed to heal. Welcome back to another episode of the Design to Heal podcast. I am your average Jeff with Dr. Ben Rawl. And uh, man, I, you know, it's it's crazy. I feel like we, we have been a support community of sorts for mm. a lot of people who have either been like, you know, like banned or, mm. or just, you know, be, have been made outcasts mm. in the midst of a pandemic. I mean, it would have been that anyway, just for largely the subject matter and where we at with the show, but sounds like we got another one today, yeah, just like that. That's that just really unfairly treated and you makes know. me think a little bit. Yeah. We should maybe change the show name to like the black sheep podcast or <laughs> people, you know, but, um, or, you know, remember that also, I think it's a quote by Mark Twain. He says, when you find yourself on the side of the majority, it might be time to reevaluate yeah, your position. Think your position. Uh, there's no doubt that um, free thinkers and critical thinkers and people that are believers in truth and freedom um, have found themselves in unique times. And so, mm -hmm. however, what has been interesting in this last couple of years is finding people, and I'm going to use air quotes here, that were on, quote, the inside. And so our 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 guest today, Dr. Rennie Moon, is a pediatrician. Um, mm -hmm. She's got, but she's got a really interesting story. And, you know, there's a lot of people that we can have on this podcast, but we, we pick people specifically. Matter of fact, I was introduced to her by one of our other great guests, Dr. Kim Milhone, who said, hey, when she tell me, you know, when great people tell you, hey, you need to meet this person, I take that serious. Or take they say, note. hey, you need yeah. to read this book or you need to do this. I try to take action on that. And so um, she's she's um, counted the cost, but she's also uh, has deep convictions, but those don't come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think mm -hmm. when we hear these stories, because especially, you know, we we're just getting off of Thanksgiving and and Doc maybe has stories about this, too. But, you know, we get around people that aren't love that mindset, right? And mm -hmm. it can become very stressful, right? When you're talking about these contentious or these things that have become contentious, when when freedom of medical choice and um, becomes contentious, you know, we are an interesting time. So I've already talked more than I wanted to. Uh, Doc, welcome to the show. We are so excited to have you. Will you do our listeners a favor, share a little bit about your story? And I've got some specific questions, but your background and what kind of doctor you are and, and how long you've been doing it. And then we'll go from there. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Um, so I, I'm a pediatrician. I have practiced for over 20 years, and I never in a million years thought I would find myself in a situation mm -hmm. like we all find ourselves in now. I, I've not, I'm not someone who's been you know, politically active. This is not about politics for me. This is about what I see happening in front of my eyes in the clinic setting and, and in the hospital arena. And so I've, anyway, back to myself for a minute, I've, I've practiced for over 20 years. I've taken care of kids, you know, to the best of my ability as a pediatrician. And I come from a family who actually fled from communism. So I was born here in America, first generation American to parents who, who fled from behind the Iron Curtain. And they came here to America for freedom. And so I grew up as a, as a young child in the, I grew up on the West Coast and I grew up with this, just this immense love for America and for our constitution and for all that it had given to my family. And um, I see that all just honestly dissolving away before our eyes right now. And it's, it's, it's quite horrifying. Mm. 
to watch. Um, so I've had a frontline seat to a lot of this. Doc, what I remember uh, listening to some different, you know, interviews you've done and some of that history, and I remember, um, you know, you talking about that with your with your family. And I think this is a really important perspective. I mean, your parents, and correct anything I say if it's not accurate, you know, when they left, it was a major, uh, I mean, they left everything. They left everybody. I mean, it's the, almost the stereotypical story in that, you know, a couple of bucks in their pocket don't really know, although they were uh, professionals in a sense. I mean, all right. I mean, they were they were educated people, but, and they also came here through, and it wasn't easy to to get here, right? I mean, this was, um, can you mind telling that story a little bit? Because I, I think it's really important in this time that we're living in, if we have not gone, either gone through that experience that you've gone through or had to contend for things or fight for things or have an outside perspective, you know, I can't imagine. Are your parents still alive by chance? Curious. Are yeah, my, my mom is My mom is still alive. She my dad passed last, last mm-hmm. year, did you say? Yeah, last year. Uh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to imagine, like, your mom looks at this and goes, what in the heck? We left this, you know? And, and you, of yeah, course, you're in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, thanks for asking. I think the, you know, when I, when I think about my parents, I think of them as just very typical immigrants to America. This is what America was built on. This is a foundation, you know, bring us your huddled masses yearning to be free, right? People came here for freedom. And I have people stop and think just for a minute, what would, what would that look like for, for you to leave right now? What, how, how horrible must those conditions have been for those people to have all fled? You know, my parents left behind everyone. They weren't obviously allowed to even leave their, their communist country and so they had to, uh, they had to go, my mom actually would go to the border before she, before she married and just look and see if she could get out through the border mm. somehow, but was pretty sure she would be shot in the process oh. and didn't want to risk that. So um, ultimately only dated people that were willing to also flee because she had to get out of there. She said it was so mentally oppressive and awful that it just wasn't a life worth living. And this has played out in history with millions and millions of immigrants to our nation. People people didn't flee because they, you know, didn't like, you know, yeah. something trivial about their nation. They fled for, for, for really sincere and horrific reasons. And so they were ultimately, my parents were ultimately able to get out um, just by using the system in a way, they were able to get permission to leave from separate parts of the country um, because they would never allow one person, or, sorry, two people to leave if they were married. But by then she was married. And, and what they, they were able to get permission for one of them from one part of the country and the other from the other part. So together they were, they were able to leave and they took advantage of the fact that they didn't have computers back then. So they couldn't figure out rapidly that they both had received permission to leave. Um, So they ultimately were able to get out, but they literally came with, you know, like a dollar in their pockets, no relatives here, no education, you know, here in the U.S. They had college degrees, but no education in the U.S. And what I want to point out to listeners is, is that we very much vetted people for our nation back in those days. They came in the early 1960s, and they had to apply. They, they stayed in Vienna for a while. They had to apply to the United States, to uh, Canada, to Australia for citizenship, for the ability to immigrate here. And they had to show that they wouldn't be a burden on society, that they would assimilate, they would become part of our, our society here in America. And so they waited and had those papers you know, reviewed and they had to go through interviews. And there was a whole process for that. 
And ultimately, they were granted permission to immigrate to all three countries. But my dad wanted to be a cowboy. He'd always watched the cowboy movies and he just loved those, you know, that aspect of America. And so they chose America and, and loved our nation, certainly assimilated very well here. But initially when they moved here, had no jobs here because they couldn't work in the field that they had trained in in college because they're, they didn't have the papers to show their college um, diplomas at the, early on. And so they just took very menial jobs. My mom, my, my dad actually worked um, by cleaning out the manure in a, some horse stalls for some people. And my mom um, did some other um, kind of more that menial jobs sexy, as well. That wasn't the sexy cowboy job he was hoping for, right? He wanted it, to be- <laughs> it wasn't initially. No, but I think my point is, is they knew they would have to work their way up. And mm. they did. And they earned their, they earned their, ultimately earned their doctorates here in America. They earned their PhDs from American schools. And and raised a family to, you know, just to love our nation and to love the freedom that we'd been given. So, but it wasn't easy. And and it's the whole hard work ethic and you can become pretty much whoever you want if you work hard at it, right? That's that's what America was founded on. So, and um, so, so watching this play out now, my mom is, yeah. is horrified. Yeah. Well, I was, yeah. and I'm just thinking, you know, so, and I'm, and I'm going to just jump a little bit here, meaning... You know, so you amazing story. I know that's part of your, your your pedigree, part of your just your fabric of how you were raised. I can't imagine, you know, the conversations that you grew up with around the around the house and, and listening to, you know, and of course still having a lot of family over in those countries and watching this play out, never dreaming, right? Like you said, <clears throat> that you would be in the position that you're in today. Um and so, you know, you go to a top tier medical school, you're a pediatrician, you're kinda um you know, just going with the flow and in the past and not even, but you know, you've been more of your, uh, although you're clearly a free thinker, you were, you're not a person that would be called anti-vax. You, you have been a person that you said over the years has been a, you know, a pro-vaccination type of person. And and then this COVID uh, jab, this, you know, genetically, you know, gene therapy, whatever word we want to use, when this came upon the scene, that really started to to give you pause. Do you mind sharing when this started happening? So now we're in the you know the pandemic or whatever we want to terms we want to use there. What what was it that changed for you? Where did you start to feel like this isn't something's wrong here? What triggered you? Yeah, that's a great question. So yes, I've always been pro vaccine, and so I'm sure there are groups out there that will, as I've been speaking out, will now label me as anti-vax, mm-hmm. which will just be laughable because I've done nothing but promote childhood vaccines for my entire career as a pediatrician. I, My own children had, you know, additional vaccines that we give to children who are missing a spleen and things like that. My kids have their spleens, presumably, but I, I let them have the additional vaccines thinking, you know, this this is what we, <laughs> this is a good thing, right? The more vaccines, the better. And so I've been a huge proponent of vaccines, but, and this, this product that rolled out, I, I have trusted our regulatory agencies up until, up until, you know, a few years ago, I trusted them just like the majority of physicians out there are obviously still doing. And, um, you know, when, when these regulatory agencies have said they've studied something, I believe them. I thought, okay, if they say it's safe, it's absolutely safe. They're here thinking about our best interests. Of, Of course, this is fine. And so this product rolled out. I'm going to call it the COVID-19 product. I don't, you know, I think that's probably the term I like to use or injection. 
but it rolled out and I didn't know much about it. You know, I, I actually had, I teach also, I'm a professor at several medical schools, a clinical associate professor at several medical schools. And I've taught my whole career in addition to practicing and seeing patients in the clinic. Um, so this product rolled out and my students actually were some of the initial ones that asked me about it. And, and I said, you know, I said, I don't know much about it. I said, it's really slick technology. I, I do hope it works, but it really hasn't been studied very much in actual human beings. And, and so that causes me worry. And, and I actually thought out loud with my students for a little bit. I said, you know, what's the biodistribution of this when they put this in your, in, you know, most of the time it's your arm, when they inject this into your arm, wh- you know, where does it go in the human body? And what, what kind of adverse events might it cause? You know, does it, where does it go within the cells? You know, I just was thinking out loud and, and with my students was wondering, um, you know, does it, does it cause immune problems? Could it cause rheumatologic problems? Could it cause cancer? I, you know, I didn't know, none of us did. And my students, um, it was a very brief conversation. They had actually asked me and I, um, answered like any professor should, but it was more of a dialogue like you'd have with a colleague, just a critically thinking dialogue. And ultimately this um, product, you know, rolled out and many of us have family members who took it. I'm not going to disclose my own personal vaccine status, but we all have family and we all have friends who trusted and who took this product. And very shortly after it rolled out, we began to see some things I did. I saw cases that were being reported of people having really serious adverse reactions to this thing. And a few more months went by and I was really questioning how safe is this for everybody? It clearly isn't safe for some people. And I looked at VAERS, which is our vaccine adverse events reporting system. And for the listener who may not know what that is, you know, it's been around my whole career um, it's there as a, we call it a passive surveillance system, meaning that if someone has had a reaction, they think, to a product, they're to report it. Anyone can report it, but usually it's the physician that reports it. And it gets noted. And it, just because there's been a reaction within a time frame related to a product doesn't mean it's the product that caused it, meaning that, you know, it may or may not have been caused by that that injection or whatever the situation was, but, but it certainly makes you concerned that it might've been. And so it's a way for our government to, you know, if they start to see a huge increase in the number of reports, then that would be a signal to say, Hey, something's not right potentially with this. We need to go look more closely at this. And so I looked at the VARES and it was, it was literally exploding before our eyes. I mean, it was the signals were going off like crazy And began to hear things from around the country from colleagues and from, um, you know, from patients and things that were happening. And and clearly, I I became alarmed and and very concerned about why we were still being told. Can I ask you something about that? Because I think in uh, somewhat of your unique position, I know there's, um, um, you know, we've had other physicians on here, but I I know some physicians, depending on, on what type of medicine they practice, you know, VAERS is something that's not really on their radar because they just don't, you know, they either don't deal with a lot of vaccines or whatever. You being a pediatrician, this was a part of your vernacular. This is part of your, you knew about this, right? You knew about the system. And the thing I would want a listener to know is, you know, because of your, your um, you know, re, you know, knowing that and the type of work that you do, 
Um, and really, it's really most. It's really our only post mark. I mean, it's it, although it's not perfect, like you said, and it is a, a passive system. But it, like you said, most of it is still reported by physicians because they're the ones that either interpret it or you know, delivered it or are hearing from the parents. Um, to see that explode, to use your words, you know, and I've seen all a lot of the data as well. You know, flatline, 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 and then boom, you hit that vaccine, you know, time that injection, COVID nineteen injection, and you see this thing skyrocket. And I've been watching probably the dashboard like you have from all sorts of side effects to now, you know, to even deaths to to everything. I have to imagine, and I know there's been several studies on the um, the reliability of that data, just meaning it's it's likely underreported, if anything correct? It's, it's likely even more it's than absolutely underreported. So we can look at that data. And I'm, I'm, the reason I wanted to stop you there is because you as a practicing pediatrician, you know, understand that system, have used that system, understand the value of that system. Although it's not perfect, we it's there for a reason. And I would just say from my perspective, doc, it's been completely ignored when you by the by the powers that be, by the people that should be looking at and going, holy smokes, we have a problem here. Now, is it causation? All those things. We don't know all of that, but we need to take a look. And I, people that I know that personally, I have a, a, a family friend whose brother was uh, died shortly after the second uh, shot. And it was a horrible story. We had them on the podcast. And she said, and her mom is a 30-year nurse. And she said, we have been ignored. We have not gotten one phone call. We have not gotten one follow-up. We've not gotten one reach out from anybody in the industry regarding that. And I'm a imagining your experiences on that and you know it's somewhat similar i just wanted to, to pause there to let our listeners know you but the point you bring up is so important it exploded we've never seen reports of injuries like that matter of fact and i'm just going off the top of my head doc i think it was h1n1 or something or one of those are and even um the rotavirus right that got pulled from the market for a fraction of the concerns that we've seen with this jab is that accurate Yes, absolutely. So I started practicing around the time that the rotavirus, that that mm. initial rotavir- rotavirus product was released. And, you know, there were less than 100 reports of something very rare called intussusception where the it's a, it's a bowel problem, it's an intestinal problem that, that only rarely kills a child. But it's, you know, it can cause, it usually causes hospitalization. And, and anyway, less than 100 cases in this product was pulled as it should have been because there was concern that there had been 100 children or slightly less than 100 children that had been harmed by this product back in the day with the rotavirus. And and now literally, you know, we're watching bears explode with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of reports of varying uh, problems, medical problems linked in such a way to the to the COVID product that that people have taken the time to report it and nothing we're supposed to ignore it. We're, we're actively being told to ignore it. Uh, never have we seen something this outrageous and this horrific, frankly. And so I reached out to some colleagues and what I received from my colleagues, from many of them was, actually many of them had never heard of VAERS, mm-hmm. which I found really shocking and really disturbing. But, you know, and some were pediatricians who had never heard of VAERS. Wow, wow. Um, you know, but so I think it's it's something that, but you know, it wasn't. It's not actively taught in medical schools, honestly. And and I, over my career, have I reported to Vares maybe four or five times in my whole career. It just something where it just seemed off with other products, but but very rarely in an over twenty year career with all the vaccines that we give out in our offices. And and um, yeah, so to watch this play out and to be told, yeah, you know, the alarms are going off like crazy, but it's fine. There's no problem. And 
clearly something is not fine and clearly there is a problem for some people. And um, then I began to, as I looked into this further, um, to actually to meet people. I mean, these are firsthand accounts of people who, there's a physician who was harmed by this um, uh, COVID-19 product. Within a week of receiving it, developed a really severe uh, neurological complication such that he can no longer practice medicine. He's a surgeon. He can no longer operate. I've met him. I've talked with him since then. And, and no one, he said, he said at first he also believed, you know, the regulatory agencies would be all over this. They would want to talk to him. They would want to see his medical record. Silence, just silence. And so he reached out to them and said, you certainly want to know about what happened to me. And he was just dismissed. Yeah. No, nothing happened to you. Everything's fine. Move along. Nothing to see here. You know. So you're seeing Never this. You're seeing, I, yeah, you're seeing this happen. You're experiencing it firsthand. You're, you know, you're being astute. Not even. I don't even know astute. You're just doing your job. You know, right? Meaning, looking at the data yeah. of a product you're expected to participate in. Then you start to see, you know, mandates talk coming. You're seeing all lockdown concepts, which is crazy. Masking everybody and our kids. You're seeing really just medical freedom of choice being just assaulted. I mean, all this is where I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, doc, but this is where you had to be going, Oh my gosh, what is happening? Yeah. I, we, my family left this. Um, and I, and if you don't mind even sharing what happened at, at your, you know, one of the places that you, you know, where you worked, um, and uh, you know, you wrote the letter to them. They were wanting to, they're trying to mandate you to get the, to get the product. And you, you know, you think wrote a real heartfelt letter about why you chose not to do that. Or I just didn't even say not to do it. how you, you said, I'm not going to disclose whether I did or didn't. That's not, I'm not showing my papers metaphorically or, or actually literally. Do you mind sharing that right. part of the story? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, sure. I, you know, again, I've, I've followed the rules. I've had my flu shot every year. I've gotten every shot through my whole career. And I'm, again, I'm not going to disclose here how much of this product I have or have not received, if, if any. But it came to a point where they were mandating it. And I, they wanted to mandate me giving this to children as, a, as, a, as an order. It's an experimental, investigational still in, in that sense, experimental product. They, there's no long-term side effects that anyone knows. And the, frankly, the short-term side effects were very concerning to me, but not to mention the fact that we live in America. We are the land of the free. We do not have people tell us that we have to inject something into our bodies. We, are, we don't do that under force and under duress and under mm. you know, threat. What in the world had happened to my country? So I'm looking at this mandate and I'm thinking, I'm thinking things that maybe pediatricians don't normally say, like, you know, no. And there's a word before the no. I'm not doing this. No. I am not doing this. Not in America. Not in a country just on that my principle, even fled if the product is quotes, for freedom. Yeah. We have constitutional rights. We, they, my parents fled here from freedom. We all. We all have freedom. And if we, we give it away, if we just give it away, then we no longer have it. And so I told my employer, I actually I actually waited. My employer wanted my vaccine papers. I call it my papers. It's very similar to the show me your papers nonsense that, frankly, tyranny that went on in Europe in the 1930s, right? We had to show your papers. This has happened over and over again in history and I'm not taking part in this. And I, I simply refused to show them my, um, mm -hmm. my vaccine papers. I said, it's not, at that point, we knew that it didn't stop transmission. 
it didn't stop the spread. So, yeah. so if I was, you know, if I was sick, I told them if I'm sick, I'm not going to sure. come into work. Just like, you know, like I, I normally have for my whole, try yeah, to right. spread this. My, like I have for my whole career. I said, this, this changes nothing about my safety in terms of my ability to care safely for my patients. This is just you tyrannically telling me and my patients what we have to do with our bodies and how, how does this make us any less than modern day slaves? Hmm. If our employer can tell us what we have to do with our own bodies, with an experimental, anyway, clearly this was wrong. And I, so I waited, I didn't turn it in at the deadline. Um, the deadline came and went. And that evening I received an email and the email said that I'd been pulled from my otherwise fully booked clinic. I was booked for four weeks out, um, completely booked. I had a partner that had recently left for varying reasons. And so she, um, she, she was gone. So I had her patients along with my own. So I was completely booked out. They just pulled me completely healthy in around September. Of, and unpaid um, too, right, Doc? No, unpaid. Unpaid. Mm -hmm. Unpaid administrative leave. And they said, you have two months to, to think of this over and to comply. Um, and you can have your position back. And I said, well, to myself, and yeah. I said that to them in a letter. I said, I'm never going to comply with tyranny. Never. And so there you have it. So I went and I moved my things out of my office the next morning. Doc, even to pause Patients that have for, no idea. for a second there, because I think this is important. Mm -hmm. And I and I appreciate this, this concept here, because you know, a lot of us, myself would be one of them that I have a, a you know, physiological reasons why I ref would refuse that uh, injection. I've got reasons of personal faith I would refuse that injection. But regardless, and I think this is a point I haven't probably talked about much on this show, regardless of whether you chose to get it or not, the mandate to show your papers, I think, is really interesting. That's what the grounds you were really arguing them on was, hey, this isn't actually whether I got it or not. That's irrelevant. The fact that you're requiring me to disclose this as a, as a you know, part of my employment is where it gets really, you know, I think that's really important. You weren't arguing even at that point whether or not the jab is safe or not, or there's effects or not. I mean, those are all maybe things that were going on in you personally and thoughts that you have. So I think that's really important because what you were seeing was a hit from your, again, not to keep using this example, but your personal histories, you knew where this could go, right? You know, the slippery oh, yes. slope <laughs> of freedom. I think you used a term that was ringing in my head and I want to bring it up into this conversation because um, I grew up in the Midwest, Doc, in uh, South Dakota, and occasionally we get like forest fires out there, right, or, or, or prairie fires. And when, one, when, when that happens, you know, you can literally see where, it, you know, see where it starts. It's like pretty land, right, and beautiful, and then it's just wiped out. And you have used the term, we're like a nation on fire. And um, as I thought about you saying that, I thought, you know, when these rights are burning up, when these freedoms are burning up, it's, it's really um, scary because it's really difficult to get them back. It's really difficult to get, you know, things reversed. I mean, we've seen that happen, even though I live in Florida, um, you know, watching and, you know, and for the most part as a state, we did, you know, fairly well on trying to retain freedoms and things like that, but still challenging in certain districts and certain areas where, you know, there was some tyrannical control on school boards and mask mandates and kids and all these things, you know. So anyway, I bring that up to say, when you said that about a nation on fire, I think the visual of that is so important because it's, and it also makes me think about how it spreads, right? And you watch 
I'm not talking about the virus. I'm talking about the fear, the propaganda. You even mentioned, and what yeah. is the last thing I'll say, and I want you to just to, to take it from there. You even mentioned how the fear and propaganda was showing up in your medical journals, showing up in the medical communications that you guys are expected to you know, read or get or follow. And I think a lot of listeners don't realize, and this is why it's so important, Doc, even though I know maybe some of this is hard for you or reluctant to as um, meaning you're you know, you know, last thing you thought you'd be doing is probably getting interviewed by some chiropractor on a podcast about medical freedom, you know, but here we are, <laughs> yeah, <that's> you know, <laughs> where you, we, you don't have a choice to, to, to stand up for these things because I, mean, I want our listeners to know that it takes people like you, because sometimes they think, Hey, I'm just a crazy chiropractor. So they didn't need to listen to me. I said, well, will you listen to a 20 year plus highly trained, you know, a high level school, you know, practicing not, you know, not even anti-vax pediatrician. Will you listen to what she has to say? Because sometimes they need to hear it from somebody like you. So I just want to thank you for being a person that was willing, probably reluctantly willing to say, hey, I got to speak up about this because people need to know. What's your, will you talk about the nation on fire and maybe some of the things I, and just and unpack some of the things I mentioned yeah. there? Sure, absolutely. I, I probably should clarify two things with the listener. And yeah. one is that um, I practice, this all happened to me on the West Coast of the United States where, uh, you know, there's definitely a discrepancy between what we're seeing happen across the nation, right? Some states are, as scary as it sounds, some states are, are less free than others. And, yeah. and the West Coast was hit particularly hard with the lack of freedom very early on. And so this happened to me on the West Coast. And um Two, I, I do have a great deal of faith. I have um, really, my faith has grown mm. exponentially, I will have to say, the last few years. This has really taught me the meaning of of, mm. of that word much better than I, much deeper than I ever realized. And I, I have actually filed for religious exemptions with absolutely solid reason mm. to do that. But when it came to this, with this employer, my feeling was, and I, it's actually played out to be true with some of my colleagues, and I'm not faulting people for filing religious exemptions, but those that did let the system continue on, like there was no harm to the system. It just sort of continued and, mm. you know, they'll be dealt with later by the system as this continues to get worse and worse if we allow that, right? And so I yeah, decided... There's no religious exemption to was, tyranny. You, know, you can't exempt yourself from tyranny. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just decided to draw a line in the sand with them. I'm going to make this hurt them if they're going to be trying to do this to us. This is not right. This is so wrong. So I just drew a line. I just had a little conversation and I, I drew a line in the sand. I just, I knew that was the right thing to do at that point in time for me was to draw a line in the sand. And so I did. I said, I'm doing this on the grounds of human beings, personal rights, and the fact that we live in the best country on the planet, we live in America. This doesn't happen in America. And so I drew that line. And um, yeah, I don't think they cared for the letter that I wrote, but I, <laughs> it was heartfelt and it was polite and Did they even respond? Did they it, respond? But it, um, um, I mean, just only in the sense that you have two months to comply and if you don't, um, you know, but I, I will say that very similar things happened at some of the medical schools where I've taught in and so for one of those uh, medical schools, and I'm not naming the schools because it really doesn't matter. What matters is that it's happening across the country. But, but briefly, I will tell you that I had the same thing. One of the medical schools that I worked for for many, many years also wanted my papers. And I also wrote them a heartfelt letter. I said, my family fled from this kind of tyranny. This, you know, I explained myself. I explained my thought process. 
the the person I wrote the letter to has a, a Jewish sounding last name. And I thought, well, there must be a hmm. connection here. And um, ultimately they sent me a letter back. I have a copy of it by email, came from one of the assistant deans. And it said, um, I'm sorry, unless you can comply with showing us your papers. I didn't say show your right. papers, but I'm, I'm, paraphr- I'm paraphrasing that part. But unless you give us your vaccine record with regard to this product, we can't even allow you to give the lecture that you're scheduled to give next week wow. by Zoom. By Zoom. I was scheduled to give a lecture by Zoom the following week, and they canceled out my lecture by Zoom. Um, because... Obviously, the virus is highly contagious through the computer system, right? <laughs> this is not about the virus. If anything, that, that clearly shows this mm. is about my failure to obey them because they wouldn't even let me teach by Zoom for them if I didn't comply. And for that particular school, I taught for free. They weren't paying me anything. I taught wow. for that school for free for, for a long time. And so it wasn't about payment. It was about, yeah. you know, technically wasn't an employee even there, just a adjunct faculty, but um, yeah, isn't that interesting? So, so, so this is so they take your. T- my parents have always taught me they don't always take your freedom all in one massive mm. chunk. Mm. In fact, that's rare. That's an invasion of your nation, like a you know overnight kind of invasion. And sure, that's happened in history, but by far the more common is this gradual erosion of your freedom, and not even gradual, like chunks of it just gone another chunk gone, another chunk gone. And people all think, well, what am I supposed to do? My, my mom says her countrymen in her former homeland before communism came in there, they were warned. They were told by that this was going to happen. And, and, and they, their answer was, we're a nation of laws. We're a nation. We have a constitution. We have, this will never happen here. But it did. It happened there. And it happens because people sit by and they don't know they don't intervene. They don't, they want to be polite. They don't, and I'm not calling for anything mm-hmm. radical, mm-hmm. but you have mm-hmm. to speak out. People have to be speaking out. They have to be loud. They have to make they have their to voices no, heard. Right. We have to be, and they have to say no. Well, yes. I, I remember yeah. I, you made me think about a quote. I'm sure you're familiar, right? Dr. Benjamin Rush, who was a, a signer of the declaration of independence. And one of his quotes, <laughs> I want to read it correctly. So yeah. I, you know, and he said, unless you put med- so man, gosh, this, this guy must've been prophetic. You know, you think about when he did this, but he says, unless we put medical freedom into yeah. the Constitution, the time will come when medicine will organize under an undercover dictatorship to restrict the art of healing to one class of men and deny equal privilege to others, and it will be the it'll be to constitute the Bastille of medical science. All such laws are un-American and despotic and have no place in a republic. The Constitution of this republic should make special privilege for medical freedom as well as religious freedom. Now, again, at the time, people probably thought, yeah, I mean, this is however, wow. you know, I mean, he wouldn't even have, he had no idea, of course, of a vaccine, let alone a COVID jab based on genetic, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 the new delivery not, model. Yeah. And here we sit, but he saw what can happen if we don't allow now, you know, these, these, these freedoms to exist. And so one of my concerns, and I'm curious your thought on this doc, which is, you know, okay, you know, for some people, and I, I have to imagine you agree about this. I'm, I'm watching some people and they're saying, hey, you know, um, we're kind of over this. It's kind of, you know, past, you know, the pay I saw, I think yesterday, uh, when, when this will air, I saw that um, our, our vice president of the United States got on Twitter and said, everybody go get your, or get ready, you know, get one shot a year, get your COVID shot every year. They're already talking this language. I remember talking to people and I said, 
you know, watch this. I pro- this will become an annual shot. And they're like, oh, no, no, it won't. They told us it would. I mean, it's been lie after lie after lie. Or I will call it a lie. Um, but I would say we could minimally say they were making promises that the science would not back up. Now, I still think that there was definitely some some. Uh, you know, powers at play that we weren't aware of. But my point is this, you know, we're, we're not out of this yet, right? The, the pandemic air quotes might be over in the sense of however they want to talk about the cases and things like that. But the, the freedoms that were eroded, the things that were done to the American people. And as a pediatrician doc, and I wanted to ask you this as we kind of, kind of end in, kind of wind into the last part of the show here, not only are you a, a physician and a physician that's you know even been part of giving vaccines, familiar with the virus system, all that, you also see kids, and you've seen what has happened to kids during this time. You, I, I mean, I listened to one of your podcasts. You got me uh, actually crying as I was listening because as you were telling me or telling the you know on the show, there stories of the kids that you're seeing come in with depression and, and, and this is heavy topics here, but cutting and, and, you know, even suicidal thoughts and, you know, watching what happened. I have to imagine also as a pediatrician who serves kids and sound like you're a parent yourself that go, Oh my gosh. Right. What have we done? Um, That isn't even, I'm not even talking about the, the injection at this point, just to the psyche, to the fear you know, um, yeah. and I think that's what's broken my heart over these last few years is watching how much fear the people are operating. And then that got translated to our children in many ways, right? Um, I, I We did everything yeah. we could to try not have that happen. But could you speak to that at all? Yes. Yes. Uh, there are two things I want to say to be very crystal clear. One is this is not over in the medical world right now. We're in the heart of the fire right now in the medical world for a variety of reasons. And and we can, if there's time, we can talk more about sure, that. Sure. But people are, physicians are being purged from the system for not, not obeying and not doing exactly as the employers are saying. Um, and then we have a huge, huge problem in our medical education system. We are, um, we are raising up physicians who have been taught that there is only one way to look at certain uh, viewpoints and it's extremely dangerous for the years to come. And that's a whole separate topic that, you know, if we have time today, we can have. Doc, well, even on that that for a second, because I just want people to understand, because you are, you know, from coming from the West Coast, where we did see there's legislation on the books in California to make basically this conversation you and I are having, or at least from your your world as a, uh, from an MD, almost illegal. Right. At some point. Yes, right? we are. We are being threat. We have been threatened. Your physician has been so threatened. It's it's beyond belief right now. So this is actively burning right now in the medical world. We have lost the freedom in many situations to have a true informed consent discussion with a patient. So when you walk in to see your doctor in many situations now, it's not just you and your doctor in the room. It's you, your doctor, your doctor's employer the regulatory agencies, the pharmaceutical companies are all, they're all sort of in there too, because your doctor has their hands much more handcuffed than many of them even realize that they do. And I think sometimes the analogy I have, I love analogies, but this is more of a visual, I think, is, you know, you don't always know that you're handcuffed until you try to move. Mm -hmm. And then when you try to move, you're like, oh, maybe that's not working so well. Well, I have colleagues across the nation who have literally been 
fired by their employers for not simply just saying safe and effective when it comes to this product. Like they've said, I'm, I'm going to give the patient true informed consent. I'm going to tell them there are these links to these different healthcare conditions that, you know, their child might experience from this injection. I'm going to really discuss risks and benefits with them. Doctor, it's, it's so heartbreaking it. because that is a foundation of medical care, informed consent. Right. This is not a new concept. This is not some, nope. you know, uh, suggested, you know, thing, some new idea. This has been since the beginning. And I think everybody that's listening to this, we wanted to believe that that existed. In a sense, we kind of believed by uh, just, you know, omission or commission. Well, if the doc would tell me if it's a problem and I'm trusting them to tell me that, um, and if it's not, then they wouldn't tell me because there's nothing to tell me. Except that's, again, not what's happened. I know we went off on a tangent on that, but this is why it's so important for people that are listening because they need to know what you're saying for their own uh, advocacy, right? So they understand yes. if I mm-hmm. end up in an office and I ask the doctor, well, hey, is there any concerns about this? And that doctor might be sitting across from them having concerns, but are in a, like to use your kind of ideas, they're somewhat handcuffed on even what they could say yes. at risk of their job. So they're going to say, you know, blah, blah, blah. The recommendation from the CDC is everybody six months older should get it. And I know, is there any concerns? Well, you know, no, everybody says, you know, it's risk benefit or whatever line of malarkey they, they are telling you to say, excuse me for getting mm-hmm. a little upset about it. But so I, I thank you for sharing that. And then, yeah, part two, what are you seeing with the kids? It has to be devastating. Yeah. So the kids have been, again, to be crystal clear, they are after our children. They're after this next generation. By they, I mean, the I, I call it the evil. There's very much evil out there that would come after children in this way. You know, I was seeing children in my office that were so scared to take their masks off that they would literally become anxious and start to cry in front of me if I asked them to remove the mask this is back, you know, when I had the when I was still working at the in the West Coast Clinic. They were so scared to remove their mask, they would start to cry and visibly shake in front of me, so terrified to take this thing off. Now, again, remembering that they basically have a zero percent chance of death from this virus. Essentially, you know, we've had such a small number of children, fortunately, die from this virus across the country. And you that treated it's very kids with you treated kids with COVID, and you said that you never. Hundreds, I think you said you never had to admit one. Hundreds. Yeah, never had to admit one. I, I never had to admit one. No, I had one that went to the emergency room for a few hours, yeah. and and uh, you know was fine two days later when I saw her in the clinic. I, you know, kids thankfully were spared by this yeah. by this virus that absolutely could be ugly to adults, but the kids were spared. They were not spared what our public health system did to them. So, Mm -hmm. you know, early on, we didn't know. But as the data came out, why did we not lift the masks on our on our children, you know, we could go into a lot of detail with the masking and, sure. and all that, but there was no reason to keep our children masked and in fear. I had kids coming into my office who, this didn't happen, you know, hundreds of times, but I can think of at least 10 or 20 cases where the child came into my office and um, this, is, this was over a year into the pandemic and was literally visibly shaking in front of me again to the point that they had not left their home in the last year, these kids. And as I would talk to them, I said, what have you been doing? They said, well, I came in to see you because my anxiety is just so, so awfully high. Can you help me? They all came in for mental health reasons. And I said, well, do you go outside? What do you do on a typical day? These kids were sitting literally at home, shaking in fear 
because they didn't know what a virus was. It was unseeable. It was this mystery thing to them. Yeah, boogeyman. They, they literally thought they really they literally thought they could catch it from the air in their backyard. They had not gone outside to take a walk. They had not done anything outside of the house, but just sit there and live in fear that they were going to catch this thing from the outside world. Where was the public health education on how this is transmitted? Why weren't why weren't people being reassured? It was constant yeah. propaganda, fear mongering, and I'm going to call it what it is. Absolutely. It's propaganda. It's been it's been present in our medical literature. It's been present in our lay. Um, obviously in the the current mainstream media. I saw it first as a young child who went to visit my grandparents in their locked down communist country. I heard propaganda there. I saw it there when I was 11 and I know what I'm seeing. I see it here in America today. And it's, it's, that's what's been used to stoke the flames of fear in these kids. And so these kids are being groomed to follow these outrageous, you know, mandates basically with wearing something over your face when you can't so you can't breathe and so you feel like you're less of a human being i actually my one of my children was on swim team and i actually had a letter early on where they said you know we're debating having the kids wear masks during swim practice oh my lord during swim practice you know this is how outrageous we all know how crazy this got Really? My child's going to be doing the butterfly stroke while wearing yeah, I a mask can't. I just that's can't. wet? I just can't. I mean, we can't even go there, what they've done to these children. And so the, the incidence of suicides and no. cutting and self-harm and depression just, I mean, it was already high from social media, but it just skyrocketed during this uh, you know, this pandemic. Doc, you mentioned something, and we've talked about this on, on our show before, and it's kind of a... a, a like I to say a passion, but uh, an, an area of significant interest for myself and Jeff, the co-host. Um, you know, he's got five kids. I've got two children. Um, and I, I believe I heard you mention this. And just since we have you on this, I wanted to, because I just thought, you know, you are a straight shooter. And um, you were telling somebody on a show about how, you know, you, you go into the kids and you, you know, they're, they're just like a, and I don't think you use this exact word, but like almost a zombie, right? They're just on their device and they're just like, a disc, you know, won't even look at you kind of hair in their face, you know, just like there's something yeah. there. And then you were talking about, um, we were talking about, I think you were talking about social media and devices. And <laughs> I don't want to, uh, paraphrase you here, but basically you were like, uh, yeah, you just gotta get it out. Like there's nothing redeeming about those things. Right. I mean, they are just really hard on our kids. And the reason I'm asking you is you're a pediatrician. I saw that they even changed some of the, am I right about this doc? They changed some of the, the milestones for kids developmentally because of what we saw through COVID, the, uh, time of speaking is, you know, uh, extended now and things like this. I mean, it, it just devastating, um, to what we've seen. So do you have just thoughts on, that with their kids, because there's going to be some people listening to this. And although maybe, you know, that you were uh, early on aware of this and you contended and fought for your kids and, you know, and my mine as well, but there's some that got so scared and got so freaked out that they, um, and I even heard you mention this, like it, the parent that is, you know, forcing their kids to be masked, listen, right. You and I both agree. They love their kids, right. They're not doing it because they don't love their kids. They do. They're not doing it because they hate sure. the parent, they're bad parents. They were, they were lied to. Uh, now, I'm all about personal responsibility. So at some point, you got to wake up. But um, for those people that are waking up and to the truth and are listening to this and saying, you know what? I, that makes sense. I've got to do something different. The reality is these kiddos and, and, and this generation, we've got to do some things to, to break them out of this, right? To redeem this, to restore this, to help heal this. 
Um, do you have some, you know, at, put your doctor hat on there for a second, right? As a pediatrician, um, what can we do? Is it get back out in the world, get outside, drop the device, turn off the TV? Because these kids that were, they lived on, you know, homeschool or not homeschooling, but, you know, a virtual learning and all that. What's your take on that? Is there some general advice? I'm not asking a doctor over the airwaves here. Yeah. But. No, I'm glad you asked. I think so. We definitely saw our children's mental health take a huge plunge off a cliff. Before the pandemic, it, it worsened during the pandemic, but for sure. But it was before the pandemic, and it was because of the devices that we hold in our hands and won't let go of. It's because of our smartphones and social media and all this. Um, it started like in the kind of early to mid, um, uh, I'm trying to think, sort of like 2014, 2013, somewhere in that range is when we began to see this uptick of kids with mental health issues. And and, you know, they're bringing their bullies home with their social media devices. In, in the older days, they, their bullies stayed at school, right? So they had some free time at home. And that's when we began to see our emergency rooms just filling with, with children with these, with these mental health issues. And now, now of course, it's, it's, again, gone off a cliff with the pandemic measures. But so I think the number one thing that listeners can do is to figure out better ways in which to have their children use smartphones and apps and things like that. I mean, you know, my, my, my radical approach to it would just be to take it away. (laughs) And I realize that's not possible for everybody at this point, but, but really policing what's on it because these kids are, you know, this is how they came in to our children's lives. They came in through the devices in their hands. And this is how they also taught our entire nation to be okay with censorship and be okay with taking away our freedom. And, and they did it because, you know, there's that little convenient feature on the, on the Facebook and some of the other um, programs, right, where you can block someone. Mm-hmm. Oh, isn't that convenient? You don't want to hear their opinion, mm-hmm. so you're going to block them. And so they taught us as a society that it was okay to block other people's opinions, whereas before it hadn't been. And so then it's easy to morph it into, oh, now it's okay to block, censor, you know, mm-hmm to censor. Now it's okay to, sh- to shut people up, right? Now it's okay to not have to listen. And now it's okay that I'm being censored for things or you're being censored for things. And it's never okay to do that. You know, this is, this is, it's our freedom of speech and it's our, it's our, it, those are our constitutional rights, but they taught us that it was okay to do this. And so um, I, I also feel like the children need to have some sort of hope for the future. I, again, in a West Coast state have seen children who for the most part cannot any longer, they used to be able to, but they can no longer really tell me what they want to become when they grow up. They, they just don't have that much hope in the area that, that I was working in. <laughs> Again, very inundated with this propaganda, very, very um, sad, very depressed. Recently, I actually have been doing some work and I'm not going to, I can't name the location, but I've been doing some work in another area that's a very rural um, residential, but very rural area where there was very little masking, if any at all. Um, the kids raise um, animals for 4-H. They do all sorts of outdoor activities. It, it's been like stepping back in time. I have kids who are bright-eyed and they look at me and they they um, have goals and they have hopes for the future and they're happy and they don't have much anxiety or depression. And, and we had a physician that came and joined us recently that was a fill-in physician and just temporarily there coming from the Midwest. And, and part of that 
this physician had been on the East East Coast some. And she said to me, I, I, what's, the kids are so different here. They're happy. Mm-hmm. I mean, pe- we're noticing a difference. This is a, and, and they don't have the gadgets really as much. And, um, you know, so I think getting the kids outside, getting them into other activities, um, getting them into projects that they're working on, things with each other where they socialize, but they don't have the gadgets with them. You know, have a basket where you collect all the gadgets uh, put them in that when the kids come over and, and say, you know, you can use it to call your parents, but otherwise yeah. when you're here hanging out with my kids, you guys all play and hang out and live a normal life without the bad influences of, of many of these products. Um, so we, we do need people to actively intervene in the lives of not just their own children, but the children around them that they can help pull in. Sorry, Doc, you said something earlier yeah. that um, I think we all find ourselves saying that, you know, like we, we need to possibly remove these devices. And, you know, and then you said sometimes I know that that's not possible. And, and I think and I get that. I'm sure there's probably the one rare exception of, of whatever. But I think so many parents immediately fire back with that response and they go, well, that's just not possible. It's like we're we're too far down this road with tech or whatever. And Ben, I don't know about you, but growing up like. Mom would drop us off at sports practice and gave us a quarter, right? Go call the payphone, you know, and and the lights are turned off at the fields and we were fine. We figured it out. She was 30 minutes late picking us up or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. We figured it out. And so I look at this and I go, what is it? You know, if we were to be honest here, guys, like what what is it that, you know, they, I, I, I know that parents are going to, well, we have to stay in touch and we've got to do this, we got to do that or whatever. But I would want a parent to really answer that question. Why is that not possible well, for you to remove that device? You know, and I think as, as, we, as we wind the show down, I'm so thankful to hear from you, Doc. I was thinking about, you know, you, you, you have a, listening to you, you have this, you, you've made, you've challenged me to think about things a couple of, in a different way, meaning like even the thing with the vaccine, it wasn't whether or not I took it. It was the fact this is going to be almost weaponized to show me your papers. This idea about social media, sometimes we get so caught into just, you know, the screen time and and the you know blue light and you know the brain waves and all this kind of stuff. But then you you made me think about you know you said this has actually been used to condition us. You know even though you said about how I can just turn off voices. You know watching. You know I don't like that. Uh, and it's be, we become okay with this. And so I'm really appreciative. Wow. Of, I'm just going to call it a deeper perspective. It's kind of the the thing behind it. Sometimes we get caught. Oh, that's bad content, or that was a lie, or that was stupid, or that's a dumb show, or I can't believe my kids watched that. Those are all true too. But you've you've challenged even a deeper way, which is when I see this as almost a grooming device. Um, that that affects. That's another layer that I think we need to look at. Hey, regardless of you want to get the injection or not, what you should never be have to do is show somebody whether or not you had it, mm. right? Um, whether or not you choose to use a device, you ought to know that what's happening there is grooming your children or yourself for things you probably very much oppose. And so we do need to have these honest, we need to be able to have these honest conversations with each other as a nation, as a people, um, or we're, we're we're in trouble. We are a nation on fire. You're you know, not. Yeah, are, go ahead. We are. I, I I appreciate you saying that. And I think, um, in some ways, as I think about what I just said about, you know, we can't really get rid of our devices. Part of me thinks, okay, I was being a little politically correct there too, because <laughs> as a as a pediatrician, I I will tell you a hundred percent, hands down, the healthiest kids I see are the ones, they're rare, but they're the ones whose parents have never given them mm-hmm. one of these devices. 
They are healthy. They're in there reading a book when I walk in the room. They look me, they look me in the eye. They're happy. They're not just eyes glazed over staring at the screen. Now, was I a parent that gave my kids this thing too? Absolutely. But this was, I wish I could take it back really, you know, but that time, but if I told you, okay, you can give your child a teaspoon of this every day, but it's poison, but it's okay. Yeah. Just keep giving them a teaspoon a day. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is doing um, it. Yeah. Everyone else is giving them a teaspoon and you know, they'll be okay as long as you don't give them a tablespoon, like mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. stay with a teaspoon. It's still poison. Yeah. Poison is still poison. The ultimate answer hands down is to get rid of the thing. I've, I've seen it in front of my own eyes. I know those kids are super healthy and the other ones, mental health is not and period. And, but I think realizing that how dangerous this this item is in their hands and you know being careful as a parent with it is is probably the answer that we're left with but the real answer is is to really think about getting rid of it because yeah. this is destroying an entire generation of young people and and you it, see I'm the contrast you you saw the contrast mm-hmm. with those kids that you were working with with 4H and everything like they were doing what kids used to do. Oh, the contrast is, you know what I mean? This is, this is a step 20 years back in time. I began practicing a little over 20 years ago. These are the kids, the kids I'm seeing in the small rural town that have 4-H. And the other day I said, well, what did you do this weekend? And the, the kids said to me, oh, I helped my dad, you know, chop a cord of wood. Mm. <laughs> like you don't hear that every day. It's, it's and beautiful. That's just so beautiful to hear that. It's beautiful. And, you know, just zero on the anxiety scale that we have them fill out. Every mm. child fills out their anxiety questionnaire and just zeros on it. They're happy people. This is what I was seeing 20 years ago. 20 years ago, when I started practice, I did not know who my local child psychiatrist was because I maybe sent one or two kids a year to see my child psychiatrist, one or two. Now, before, you know, in the, my Western state that was horribly, <laughs> horribly treating our children, uh, many times a week would children get referred to see a psychiatrist. Yeah, the, psych- the psychiatric system is overwhelmed. We are doing something very, very, very wrong. And social media is but one part of that. But that's a part we can control. Well, Doc, I feel like, um, you know, on the risk of giving you, uh, <laughs> don't want to uh, embarrass you here, but right, sometimes we think about like uh, John the Baptist, he was a voice in the wilderness. Uh, yeah. You're a little bit of a voice in the wilderness for a profession that has uh, largely been manipulated by some of those things that you talked about. And so even though, uh, you know, in many ways, you're a, a mouthpiece for a profession that is at some level lost its way or been forced into that, however you want to say that. Um, I just pray for you that you continue the fight. Sometimes Thank we you. can grow weary doing good works, as it says. Um, but it's it's so important that we keep speaking up and we keep you know, doing that. And so, and so we just thank you for your time and uh, just what a blessing to have you on here. And uh, just thank you for all you're doing and stay in touch, Doc. God bless. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, give us a five-star review and share it with your tribe. To learn more about Dr. Ben's work, visit AchieveWellness.Clinic.